Patrick, are you recording? I am indeed recording. That's great news. Oh my gosh, you know what I think? You know what I think the topic is for today? What? Clamcast Part Three, baby! Finally completing the trilogy. We're fi- emerging from the ashes, clams. Like the like the, like the Somali pirates rising from the mines. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Crunchyland Podcast. I can't smell or taste. It's your boy, Ethan. And I'm Patrick. I have the coronavirus. don't know if you guys know. Me and my wife have had it since Sunday last week. So seven days ago, the 4th. Uh, or no, maybe the 5th. And I got four more days of my, uh, what do you call it? Quarantine. Yeah. Until I get to leave my house again. So what I've been doing... In addition to watching the entire fourth, fifth season of Gilmore Girls with my uh, wife, <laughs> the one that's only four episodes long. No, 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 no. That's the that's Gilmore Girls: A Year in the Life, oh, I which see. is a sequel series that was released on Netflix, presumably to boost subscriber numbers. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm talking about the original run, season five. Oh, I see. Yes. Uh, when I finally felt well enough to read a book, I picked up my Amazon Kindle. Mm-hmm. And I saw that I had loaded up onto it Treasure Island by none other than than Robert Louis Stevenson. Yeah. And I crushed that thing. I finished it like two days. That's awesome. That's amazing. And the whole time, I don't know if you had this experience when you read Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. I've never read Treasure Island. You should read it. It's really fun. But the whole time, the only thing I could imagine was the movie Treasure Planet. Yeah, of course. Because that's my only... Billy Bones. Billy Bones. Long John Silver squirt the little thing instead yeah. of a parrot. It it all I, I was trying to imagine it as a swashbuckling adventure on Earth, but I could not. No, 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 no. And, and, and after Treasure, this podcast, I'm going to make Emma watch Treasure Planet with me. We we watched Treasure Planet the other like a couple weeks ago. It holds up. It does. It's, it's a good flick. Did you know I highly it was recommend the, it. Uh, biggest flop that Disney's ever had. Really? <laughs> yes. That even movie, even worse than Cool Runnings. That movie lost forty million dollars at the box office. What? <laughs> that makes sense because it's beautiful. It like, is they must beautiful. have spent a lot of money. And it, and it released the same weekend as you ready for this? Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Oh no! They didn't realize. And and the Santa Claus too. No, oh, come on. Yeah. That couldn't have been that big of a hit. Well, I think between the two of them, it's like people going to the movies and the holidays are either going to see the biggest uh, children's movie franchise ever, mm-hmm. or they're going to see Tim Allen. Like, there's yeah, no right. room. Or they're going to go see a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. That Christmas makes movie. sense. Yeah. yeah everyone's going to no room for Treasure Planet. You know, my, my favorite Christmas movie of this holiday season is Marvel Studios Hawkeye on Disney+. Plus. That doesn't sound like a film, Patrick. It is not a film. It's based. I mean, what what are TV shows now? But just, but just shorter movies. <laughs> shorter movies. Is it any good? I mean, yeah. I don't have like a. Is it like know. Marvel good or is it actually good? Oh yeah, that's a question. I have no. I I have. I'm way too biased because yeah, I will true. watch. I you, will watch, watch everything. Anything. Yeah. Yeah, that Marvel puts out. Um. But I so I'm very biased in favor of it of it being good. But I don't. I don't know. I can't answer that question for you. I'm sorry. Speaking of, <clears throat> I, I don't know if I brought this up on the podcast before, but I'm making Emma watch every single Spider-Man movie before the uh, 
Spider-Man No Way Home comes out. That's good. I don't think that they're going to bring the other Spider-Man They guys. have to. They don't. Yes, they, they do. They literally don't. Well, they don't, but they will. First of all, Tobey Maguire is just a, just a bad person. Is that true? Not a good. He's not a good. Yeah, he's not a good guy. Why? I don't know, man. But did you ever did you ever watch the movie Molly's Game? No. Okay, so there's this movie on Netflix called Molly's Game. Okay. Um, I can't say that I recommend it because it's about uh, it's about gambling and like high stakes rich people gambling. And when you bring when you have high stakes rich people gambling, you also have high uh, high stakes uh, prostitution and fornication. High stakes um, sex. Yeah, exactly. And so. This woman who like it is a true story. She was a uh, she was an Olympic skier and she had a tragic accident where um, she like it was like a one in a one in like a billion chance that this could ever happen to somebody. Yeah. But on her like qualifying run, she she her 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 ski hit a frozen branch of like an evergreen tree uh-huh. that they use to like keep the friction on the on the on the uh, on the slopes. Yeah. And her ski was like basically like cemented to her shoe. But somehow it hit it just right for her to, like, lose her ski in the middle of the jump. And she landed on her back and, like, was disabled permanently from skiing. Whoa. She couldn't do it anymore. So somehow, through a, through back alleys and networks of whatever, she became this, like, essentially this, this uh, this uh, what's it called? I don't know. She, she like, ran a, a poker game, like an underground high-stakes poker game with, with celebrities. Okay. She was, like, the accountant for this one guy who ran, uh, ran one out of the back of a bar. And she was like, and he fired her. And he was like, well, I have all their contact information. So she texted all of them and she's like, new game at this penthouse. And so she had this like high, this high thing poker game. Anyway, there was a, uh, there was a guy played by Michael Sarah called Player X. And they didn't, they didn't say who he was in the movie. And she was like, he's like a really big celebrity, a really big movie star. And um, in the book, they do say who it was and it was Tobey Maguire. And no way. the description, the description of this, of this, of this character was such that um, he he was only at the poker game. Like he didn't, he didn't play to win. He played to ruin people's lives. What? Like he wanted to watch people just lose all of their money and like just become shells of their former selves. Yeah. And he like he like supported her game, and he was like, oh yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go I'll go in on this with you. And he like he put up a lot of money for her to get like penthouse suites and like hire people and it was all legal until she started taking a rake we've talked about this before taking a rake yes i've heard yeah. about this yeah she it was all legal until she decided to start taking a rake and then she got shut down and then she yeah. started another game and then got, got shut down and anyway yeah so Whoa. crazy stuff yeah molly's game on netflix so apparently toby mcguire is just really good at poker yeah he's like stupid good at poker does he play in like the you know the celebrity you know heads up whatever like the i don't one, think so on gsn or is he, no, he's, he's been, too good for that i don't know he's he not, might be he might be so good that he would never go on television because like he plays in illegal sure illegal gambling games. rings yeah yeah these these people were betting like 1.2 million dollars around like it was it was crazy it was crazy uh sorry i'm just i'm reading the ringer article on this right now this is amazing i Okay, so so Tommy McGuire is a bad guy because he's really good at poker. Is what you're trying to say? That doesn't change the fact that I would like to see him in Spider-Man: No Way Home coming out December seventeenth. <laughs> Sponsored by the Crunch. This is why people always get, come back when they get canceled. But no, my my favorite my favorite character in the in the in the show or in the movie is this guy who is very bad at poker, but he keeps coming back and he's like, "Oh man, like, I guess I lost." And what he's doing is he's spending a hundred thousand dollars a night 
And while he's there, he's making these, like, he runs a hedge fund and he's making deals with these guys for like millions of dollars. And so yeah. he's spending a hundred thousand dollars. It's a networking thing. I'm like that. That's genius. It's pretty smart. You this animal. sounds like a movie I would very much like to watch, please. And then I will skip over the, you know, the salacious bits. Idris Elba's in it. Oh, good. Yeah. So you guys, you and him have something in common. You both have COVID, famously have COVID, and you uh, you both uh, played James Bond. I don't know if Idris Elba ever, ever played James Bond. I think he did. Okay. Didn't he? No. Am I a crazy person? I think he was like up for it. I saw something on Twitter. Idris, Idris Elba is a, is a black man. And yeah. I think I'm pretty sure the world would know if there were a black James Bond. Idris Elba could reportedly star in a James Bond film. Um, but not Idris as El- James Bond. Oh, Idris Elba. Uh, Idris Elba is Knuckles in Sonic the Hedgehog 2. <laughs> I do. Yes, I did know that. And that's pretty funny. Um, Iris Elbow is a really good actor. Iris Elbow. <laughs> <laughs> he was really I, good in uh, Pacific Rim 1. Yeah. I never that's saw all, that That's movie. all I've seen him in. I, I, I haven't know. seen him in that movie. You've, you haven't seen Pacific Rim? No. That was the defining movie of my 17th right. year of life. Wait, no. Phoebe and I definitely... Is that the one where like two people have to do these big... use these big robots? Yeah, they're called Jaegers. Okay. And no, they, I've definitely seen that. Yeah. When they punch giant, giant monsters that come out of the ocean. During quarantine, myself and, and Phoebe's family had this routine where I would come down from my apartment after like working in my, in my study. Uh-huh. And I would come down to their house and we would watch a movie... And mm-hmm. I would eat a bowl of ice cream, and I gained fifteen pounds. No, <laughs> Every night I watch. You should have you should have heard Emma last night because she also does not have taste and smell, mm-hmm. and she just wanted something sweet. And she was like, "It was so funny because it was just on a loop." She's like, "Oh, I could make cookies. Oh, I can't taste them. Oh, we could go get ice cream. Oh, I can't taste it." <laughs> just kept remembering that no matter where we go and what we do, we can't taste or smell. We can't anything. taste it. We taste it. <laughs> What a huge oh, man. That's really but, funny. So we just watched Spider-Man. You could go Far lick a frozen telephone pole. Ah, but I can't taste it. I can't it. taste it. I can't taste it. That's no, there's no use. We just watched Spider-Man Far From Home. I have confirmed that Emma does like Tom Holland better than any other Spider-Man. Yeah. But she really liked Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. Like, she liked those. Yeah. Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker is fine. You don't like his Spider-Man? I don't like his Spider-Man. Because... I don't know. He just doesn't. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't have it. You know what I mean? Hmm. I just don't think he has it. Okay. He's not witty. He's just sad. And him as Venom is just not believable. Yeah. I kind of believed it. That was kind of my. That's kind of my favorite. When I was a kid, I believed movies. it because I didn't oh, yeah. know what like moral corruption looked like in a person. Yet. Sure. We actually. This is. Let's just take a two minute two minute break here. Talk about Spider Man three. <laughs> everyone everyone hates Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3 actually is all about sin and pride and and lust. Yeah, it takes place it in can, a church and, all and how stuff. yeah, and how it can completely overtake you. Uh and Emma said at the end of Spider-Man 3 she goes, "I think that was my favorite one." It actually tried to say something. How Harry sacrifices himself for Peter at the end and overcomes and atones for all of his past sins. It's like, come on, there's actually some really good stuff in here, but everyone's like, oh, there's too many villains. It's like, okay, sure, maybe, but can we like look at what the movie's trying to say here? I thought it was pretty yeah. pretty good. 
you know? There, there is a there, there was something in Hawkeye that talked about this a little bit, though. They, they had, like, kind of a meta commentary, which mm-hmm. is, you know, the genre is so, <laughs> is so in such a loop now that it's commenting on itself. But sure. uh, the, the character Kate Bishop, the new Hawkeye, is, like, talking to the old Hawkeye and is like, your problem is you don't have branding. Your problem huh. is that you're you're you you're like this you're like this brooding, um, this brooding like like cynical character, and no one wants that anymore. They want like authenticity. They want people. They want human. They want like, they want something to believe in. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's exactly what the first two Avengers movies were. They were cynical, and they were you know they were like let's make a gritty superhero movie, but it was ridiculous because it's like here's a guy in like a stars and stripes costume and a giant green man in purple shorts. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, there's there's no way to make it not that it's you know and so mm-hmm. i think i think like these the the mid the mid 2000s and into the early 10s like superhero movies were trying to be like dark and gritty and that that's what people still like that because that's why you have the joker but i think the movies now are, are much more uh i think they're much more human now i'm gonna i'm gonna be honest even though the production of them is not human we're not gonna do another marvel conversation i'm sorry this that's all right fun. We're not going down this road. We I have a better topic today. I we started talking about Spider-Man, today. so that's that's my fault. Speaking of not being human, I was at the grocery store two days ago. Okay. I wanted to I wanted to say this on our. Um... Speaking of grocery stores, which Yvonne Illich calls a ward for idiots, carry on. <laughs> I love it. It's so funny. Um, when we, I wanted to talk about this on our Discord call last night. By the way, we had like ah. a we had you if you missed it, we did a live Discord oh, chat with the wife. I was we did there. a wife cast with the wife's. We did um, do a wife cast. If you're not on the Discord, you miss it when Patrick and I spontaneously decide to do a live show uh, live on the Discord. Yeah, it's crazy. So it was we awesome. can't. Yeah, it's our first live show since Seek. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah, right. But uh, the I went to the grocery store and I was trying to get I was trying I was trying to get some food quickly, and I went to the self checkout and I scanned my first item and I put it in the bagging area and the robot started started talking back to me. The robot was like, "Excuse me." Didn't say excuse me, but it was like, please scan your rewards card before you scan your first item because they don't want you to use it unless you have like a tracking card. And then I was like, fine. So I, I went to go type in my card and it was like, please remove unscanned item from the bagging area. And I was so upset. And then I removed the unscanned item from the bagging area. And then it said, always remember to scan your item. And I like, I so badly wanted to slap it and be like, shut up, robot. Don't talk to me. How dare you lecture me? talking down to me always remember just wagging your little invisible robot finger always remember to remove my unscanned foot from your bag never mind. oh my gosh <laughs> that's how i felt so i wanted to tell that story on the podcast because i if you if you also hate that the future of of our society is robots lecturing you on what to not do uh drop a comment smash that like button join our crunch discord Oh, I'm sorry. I'm boring you. No, I just I get fatigued very easily. <laughs> no, that's, that's actually that's fair. <laughs> I'm trying to stay locked in, but that's fair. It's tough. I have, a, I, have a, I have a good topic for today. Okay, I'm ready. It's a topic that I've been meaning to talk top top about for a very top long about. time. I'm very excited. I am looking forward to this topic with my friend Patrick today. <laughs> we we got an email a while back. I got an email no. a while back. I never check my email. No, I. Mean, my lights are turning off and on. Is there some kind of Avengers level threat happening in your neighborhood? <laughs> I hope not, because I'm definitely an NPC in the background of that. <laughs> You're just gonna freaking <laughs> get smashed by a building. Although I, I mean, like, I always thought that I would be like just zombie number eighty six in the zombie movie, but like I've been through this pandemic very, very nonchalantly and haven't gotten COVID. So right, you, me, and Idris Elba. 
all no, no, no. All you guys got us. it. You guys are so, done. Oh, you haven't gotten it at all? No, I haven't gotten it. Dang, that's where I was up until a week ago. I was like, come on. Yeah, no. This isn't even that hard to not get it, guys. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it through the whole thing. No COVID. I'm going to be a lone survivor. You're going to get um, it eventually. Everyone's going to get it eventually. So uh, we got this email got from email. Will. We got an email from Will. I've been meaning to respond. And he, he he wants to talk about evangelization in the church. Praise God. Because he is not in the church yet. Oh, hello. He is imperfectly in the church. He is he, he has an imperfect communion with us because by virtue of his baptism in the Anglican tradition. But he sent us an email a while back, and I've been meaning to respond to him. And I saw that he emailed me while I was in Florida on vacation. Like, hey, are you in Florida? We can meet up. And I'm like, dang it. I missed it. So I'm sorry, Will. Florida's um, a pretty big state. so It was near. It was near me. Are you sure? Uh, yeah. Because it would suck if you were in Melbourne and he was in Jacksonville or something. That's like four hours. And he's in like Miami or something. That's also four hours. I'm pretty. What? I'm pretty well situated. Melbourne's pretty well situated. The, the, what like if he's the, in Tampa? Panama City, Panama City Beach. Tampa's three hours away. Pan- Let me see. If there's any other cities that I know about in Florida? Florida's a big state, but Melbourne's in the middle. What about? Hold on, Pensacola. Yeah, Pensacola is way too far. That's a yeah. different time zone. That's literally <laughs> different. Did you know that Florida has two time zones in it? I did not. That's how big it is. Yeah, it's central and and eastern. Anyway, huh? Carry on. So will will send us an email that I want to talk about. It's a lot of text. It is quite a lot of text. So I'm not going to read all of it. I think. Um, but he had. I, I can summarize. I can summarize his situation. Please here. Um, so he said that uh, something stuck out to him in an episode a while back about how the Catholic Church is sometimes too focused on the maintenance of its members. Mm-hmm. and not evangelization. And he, as someone who is not a full member of the church, has noticed this. He's talked about several experiences where um, the priest at the church that he's been attending, he's been going to daily mass, and he like went up to a priest and he was like, I want to confess something. Like, can I can I confess something? And the priest is like, well, since you're not Catholic, it really wouldn't do any good. Hmm. Um, which is a great representation of how the sacrament of confession fits into the sacramental industrial complex, you know, yes, (laughs) like as in it, it doesn't. Yeah. Like this, uh, this conversation would be profitless because it's not a sacrament Mm -hmm. while sacrament. So I might as well not minister to you, you know? Um, gosh, it's awful. I know it made me really upset when I read it. And so he couldn't go to that church anymore because he was like, I can't, I can't go to this church anymore because like this priest rejected me in a very, not a Christian environment. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, "Good job, Father. You you have made it. You have made it very clear to this person who is looking for help. A lost sheep wandered into your, <laughs> into your, into your fold, and you were like, nah, nah. you're not a you're not a sheep. <laughs> you're not one of my sheep. Get out of here.'" And so he he recognized that he he's like, he wants to talk about the difference. It's something that we could talk about all day. How he said really, it was really funny. He was like, "It feels like if you breathe within a certain within a certain." Uh, uh, radius of the door of a Protestant church, they're immediately like, welcome, you're invited, you know? And yeah. then whereas, like, c- Catholics, if they get any whiff of you not being Catholic, they're like, should we give you communion? You know, it's it's very, like, it's it's very clicky, I, I would say. Hmm. And I, I think that comes from, like, something that's that is intrinsic to the church. Like, he was talking about Mass and uh, ways to make Mass more welcoming and stuff like adding guides and stuff for the Sure. pews for people who are maybe not used to mass or coming back to mass for the first time i think that could help but i mean mass is for the baptized and in the church like that's just practicing what it's for. faithful people yeah it's what it's for 
and I think that's not something. I don't think that's something we could change. No, no. But we can change the things that surround the mass. Okay. To make those things more welcoming. Hmm. Um, and so I was thinking about talking about that. Yeah, that sounds um, great. Yeah. So also, guys, pray for pray for Will because he's he's on his journey to yes. coming into the Catholic Church, and I think that's huge. Will, you're doing the right things. I'm sorry that it is the way that it is. It's not your fault. Sorry we couldn't clean up before you got here, but yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> the words of every Catholic for the last 2000 years. I just, yeah, anyway. <laughs> so, Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of the crunch. Sorry to interrupt what I'm sure is a stimulating intellectual conversation, but I wanted to pause the episode real quick to let you hear from some of our sponsors. We will be back right after this. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Is the problem that we just need to be more welcoming? Is that really the issue? Um... Yeah, so he says, I hope this clarifies what I was trying to say. The general feeling of unwelcomeness has not been enough to drive me away from the church because ultimately the truth of Christ is more powerful than their failings. However, okay. I do think that reaching Protestants is an area where the church is failing. Yes. Um, so he talks about reaching Protestants and he talks about how he doesn't understand why there's a subculture of, of uh, Protestant haters in the church. He's like, I understand why there's a culture of Catholic haters in the Protestant church, considering that it's called Protestant. Um but he's like, I don't understand why there's a uh, a subculture of Protestant hating in the Catholic Church, um, because we should be bigger than that. And then he also talked about the RCIA process and how it's not for Protestants. Um, it's just supposed to be a catch-all for everyone who has varying degrees of, of familiarity with the Church. And um, I can't speak to the RCIA process because I was not taught how to formally initiate someone to the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I just sit down and have, I mean, but I have, I have, uh, been the youth minister of two young kids, one of whom was not Christian, one of whom was not Catholic and having conversations with them and they decided to enter the church. Um, so while I was not a part of the RCIA process, I did help people become Catholic so I could talk, I can speak to that. Yeah. I don't really know anything, so I can only speak from, <laughs> from my ivory, from, cat, my ivory from ignorance. Uh, my ivory ignorance tower. The... But I, I, I want to bring this up because we've had two people now reach out to us that are not Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, how many more people who've listened to this podcast that aren't Catholic? Um, and how can we've said we've said many times that we want to just be a podcast for anybody to listen to, right? So Absolutely. we don't want to we don't want to get on here and dunk on Protestants, um, except in a in a in a charitable and and you know like ah you guys. You know, sort of way. Ah, come on. What? That's crazy. crazy. Look at that. Look at you guys. Why are you telling us our Christmas Eve service is too long when your guy preaches for an hour and a half? I don't know. That's like, (laughs) like, come on. We're out of here in 45 minutes. We got a casserole to put in the oven. You're telling us it's crazy we can have Sunday mass on Saturday, but you have Christmas Eve service on December 20th? Get out of here. (laughs)
Those kinds of things. Those kinds of stuff. Stuff that does not matter in the grand scheme of things. Yes. Um, my favorite thing was a, 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 a formerly Methodist pastor was hired as the music minister of this small Baptist church in my town. And the pastor left and the Methodist pastor um, took over and started doing a bunch of Methodist things like celebrating Advent and Lent and Good Friday. And I was like, and the, the people were like, cool, this sounds good. And I was like, if you guys, I, from what I understand, Baptists are not a big fan of liturgical calendars. Uh, yeah, which is crazy. Uh, anyway, but I, I don't know the inner workings of different denominations. Uh, Will is Anglican, so that's cool. So he knows we, a lot of stuff. So. We do like Will. That I know. I know that I like Will. The... <clears throat> I want to speak to the to the idea that Catholics don't reach out to Protestants first. I think most Catholics don't believe that there's any need to. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 it's, yeah, I it's, think so. It's you have your church and I have my church, and as long as we both kind of vote for Donald Trump, we'll be okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's there's no real um, the eighth sacrament, <laughs> voting yes, red, <laughs> voting red. Because that, that's going to be the thing. Like People are going to be more inclined to try and convert someone's belief on the vaccine or on January 6th or on whatever than they are to convert their beliefs on, you know, the one holy Catholic and apostolic. I miss 2019. Church. I know. It's a simpler time. Such a good times. 2015 <laughs> even. Yeah. Was, was pretty good. It's pretty nice. Yeah. I was, I was an college. idiot, but at least I didn't know anything. <laughs> I was an idiot. I was in college, but at least everything made sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anyway. I think I do think that's a really, 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 really big problem. Father Anthony always talks about that. You know how the, the biggest words that get people upset are Republican and Democrat. Yeah. And that's that's nothing new to this podcast. But I think um, understanding that Protest- <laughs> Protestantism as it exists in America today is really just kind of a place <laughs> where for some people it's a genuine encounter of faith. Yeah. For many people, it is a blanket under which I can have my political opinions couched in religious language. Yes. And that's true for Catholicism as well. Don't get me wrong. Like that, people people will do that in Catholics and Protestant worlds, but um, I think more so it happens in Protestant circles. Uh, just, just by the very nature of a pastor having kind of a free reign of whatever he or she mm-hmm. wants to say that can just very quickly lean into current events and those kinds of things. And so I think Catholics sometimes maybe get jealous of Protestants. They're like, man, at least your pastor will speak up and say the things that need to be said, you know, because mm-hmm. priests tend to not go in that direction. And so... Unless they have a YouTube channel. Unless they have a YouTube channel. And their name's not Father Mike. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. But what I'm trying... I think I think the, the number one thing is to... You got to cut past the political everything and really know who Jesus is and make an invitation to go deeper in your faith. And I think when you do that, true Protestants who are really seeking after the Lord are going to respond to that and are going to say, okay, yeah, I, I would love that. Yeah. Show me, show me how I can do this. Please. And in turn, they might invite you to do the same thing. And I think we need to have an openness to go both ways and say, oh, you have something that's really impacting your you know, a way of looking at scripture, reading scripture that's impacting you? Great, I want to come. I have adoration. Do you want to come to this? Like, instead of arguing about those things, just making it about how can we fall more deeply in love with Jesus? And that's going to be the way that gets 
Protestants to see that there's something to this and it's not just a different expression of Republicanism. Yeah. 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 I think we may be painting with a broad brush. We are, but that's a podcast. No, no, no. He, he said, he said, I'm, I thank, I'm thankful that you guys don't paint Protestantism with a broad brush. Oops. So he said that those are his words. I think we may be painting with a broad brush in saying like Catholics, not welcoming Protestants, welcoming because if you've been listening to the Mars Hill podcast, They'll yes. talk. You, you've heard them talk about the, uh, the 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 white flight and the the suburbanization and how people would drive past like eight uh-huh. or ten or twelve Protestant other churches, perfectly fine churches that may agree with their 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 beliefs, to this big mega church yeah. in a, in another location. And I think like it's possible the reason they did that was because they did not feel welcome at those other churches. So I think I think. Mm-hmm. Christianity and well in... can, can I just real quick yeah welcoming is not necessarily a um a zero sum game I suppose sure like just because someone feels like they it's not that they don't feel welcome at these other Protestant churches because someone has they tried to go to all eight of those churches and someone rebuffed them at each one right yeah. it's just that they they know that they feel welcome at this one place so why would they even try anything else and so yeah, i think there's and that's maybe the responsibility of let's say this this person's a baptist and they're driving past all these baptist churches to go to this big baptist church that's the problem of that one baptist church in that area they're not they're not doing their job ahead of time welcoming that person like you need to kind of prepare the way and pave the way a little bit yes and if people yeah. don't see that then they're just going to go to the place where they're already welcomed if that makes sense I think Catholics don't recognize that the mission field is um, everywhere outside of the sanctuary. And mm-hmm. for the time being, it does remain everywhere outside of the sanctuary. God Including bless. the, the God. parish building. Yeah, God God help us if the mission field ever gets to the sacristy. But, you know, you never know. <laughs> We've been it might there. get to that point. Yeah. Um, but it's, I don't think that, I don't think that um, that priest was ready to evangelize Uh-oh. after Mass. Nope. I, I don't, and I, I think that I think that his um his lack of creativity, which is something that you've talked about on the podcast before, like why don't we just why don't we when someone is like spontaneously like you know what I I need to be baptized now why don't we spontaneously baptize them we can figure out the paperwork later everyone yeah. saw it we can figure it out you know right um why don't why aren't we spontaneous with our our just distribution of God's grace and like why aren't we spontaneous and following the Holy Spirit in that way I think we we really want to remain comfortable like whenever mm-hmm. someone talks about whenever someone wants to start something new whenever someone wants to start a bible study they're always like what facility on the church campus will we hold our bible study in you know and so they schedule a faci- on the facilities calendar uh they schedule a church facility and uh someone's got to come in turn on the lights turn off the lights they have access to like you know the coffee pot or whatever in the community room of your parish ministry center that's what it's called uh but Man, I want to do alpha at a bar. Like, I think <laughs> I want to do like I want to go. I want to go and hang out with people one on one and and evangelize them that way. And I think that's what Will was talking about. This he was like the place where I feel welcome is within my young adult community. Um, and I was I was giving an interview <laughs> for uh, for Whoa. for Catholic News Service. Uh, wait, what? Hold yeah, on. Wait, yeah, what? yeah. No, come on. No, wait. What is? Uh, my, you never tell I, me anything anymore. I remember, <laughs> I remember my mom's my mom's small Christian community in uh, in Melbourne works for CNS, and my mom told her about Phoebe, 
we found out the gender of the baby on the Immaculate Conception, and we're having the baby on Divine Mercy Sunday, and so it's like it's like a cool, it's a cute little story. And so she wants to do a story about us, and so she was what? giving, she was asking me, uh, yeah, I have other partners in life no, besides you, Ethan. Is, I know, but this is amazing. Like I'm not, oh, I'm not saying oh, it's yeah. like I'm jealous. I'm like this is so cool. Oh yeah, well, it was get really to cool. Be in the freaking news, just because you're having a baby. Yeah, it was really cool. But yeah, so she asked me for like my my opinion on on how to reach young adult Catholics. She asked me oh. for my opinion on Roe v. Wade, and I was like, my opinion for the first thing is good. My opinion for the second thing is bad. <laughs> I think first we should do it. The second thing we should get rid of it. We should Those get rid of that. We get rid opinions. of it. Um, and something that I that I told her, I was like, it was great because she she was she was there during uh, my youth ministry. Mm-hmm. In high school, like she was at the daily masses that we would fill the pews for. Like we, yes. we would fill like four or five pews with teenagers at daily mass at seven o'clock in the morning some some days. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy how similar our high school experiences were. Yeah, it's, it's it's ridiculous. But um, and I told her I was like, you saw that, and you also saw that we had life night every Sunday and Bible study every Monday and leadership meetings every Wednesday. You saw that, but what you didn't see was how we would hang out. We had a Facebook group where people would post like when they're hanging out with people so that they could invite everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, they, we like, we started that. We started a Facebook page to talk about events and invite our friends into that our youth minister wasn't a part of until like two years in, you know, like it was, um, it was, it was the, it was the community reaching out and bringing people. My youth minister did not invite me to youth ministry. My friends acted, you know, um, I invited, you know, my, my, Elizabeth Post, a great shout out to Elizabeth Post. She invited a ton of people to youth ministry, and I think two of them became Catholic uh, because of her inviting them. That's huge. And the reason, like we, that we were doing things that if I was a youth minister, I would freak out. I would be so excited. We were like hanging out at each other's houses, talking about how to reach out to our friends better and bring them into the community. And so, what people see is they see a vibrant youth ministry that's doing that, where the kids are hanging out and they're talking about how to bring people into the little community. They see the institutional stuff and they're like, ah, that must be the institutional stuff. What they see must be how it stays so successful, I see. Mm, and so mm-hmm. they're like, we need to do young adult community. So they hire a young adult youth minister, a young adult minister. And that yes. young adult minister is expected. Or they make the youth minister do the young adult minister. Uh-huh. Or they make the youth <laughs> minister do the, the young adult minister. And that young adult minister has to have like young adult events and, you know, buy alcohol. And, you know, it's basically like youth group with Budweiser. And, um, which sometimes youth group is youth group, but <laughs> depending on, depending on the, the, the depending, kids that you're ministering, depending on the zip code that you're in. Yeah. Right. And that, that's definitely not it. Cause the youth ministry no. is not the talk. The ministry to young adults is not the talk that happens. It's the, it's the community that happens in the midst of that institutional thing. And so I told her, I was like this, um, what parishes need to do to reach out. This is what institutionally uh, parishes can do. I've said this before on the podcast at Holy Spirit when I was the director of evangelization for six months. Um, <laughs> it was great. No, sorry, I was demoted to coordinator. I was director of youth ministry and then I was demoted to coordinator of youth ministry and evangelization because I don't have a master's degree yet. That's a bummer. I know, it's. I love it. It's funny. But um, I, I, I asked, I set aside a little budget in our parish budget of $1,000 a month to reimburse people for taking non-Catholics out to coffee, beer, or dinner. Um, I was like, I, I said it to people who were on the evangelization team. I was like, if you want to take someone like a, 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 a former Catholic, a coworker, here's money. Like you can bring your receipts in and, and we'll, we'll reimburse you. Um, 
and I told my 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 business the business uh, the business manager I was like people there are most people are going to do this and they're not going to turn in their receipts like this I guarantee you this is going to remain intact for most months um, and it did it worked it worked really well like it, just that that little putting things forward and saying if we will support you for going out of the church because the evangelization doesn't happen if you're waiting for people if you're waiting for lost lambs to sh- to wander into your into your narthex you're going to be waiting for a long time. Um, and apparently, even if they do, you're not going to be ready to receive them. So um, I, 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 I was, I've been thinking about it, and I, I want to try this. I don't know how successful it will be, but I want to buy like Sheets gift cards or Starbucks gift cards to hand to my kids and be like, I, I will give you this $10 Starbucks gift card if you invite friends to Starbucks and buy them Starbucks. I will give this to you if you, if you hang out with them at Starbucks and talk to them about your faith and invite them to Life Team. Um, instead of giving them, if for them, you know, I don't know. Uh, create community, etc. So that works really well for youth ministry because high schoolers have this, this thing called free time, free time, <laughs> loads of it. And so it makes sense that <clears throat> high schoolers respond better than any other group <laughs> to church ministry. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it also makes sense why Newman centers are by and large, the most vibrant Catholic churches in the country right now because college students have more free time than anybody more free time and more money and more commitment and all, all kinds of things. Um, they're more mature. They're less worried about, well, I should say in some cases less worried about certain things. So I, I walked into a, an exam room yesterday. I was taking mm-hmm. my exam at a different time in a different class with my professor. He was, te- he was teaching a master's level history class and a freshman level theology class. And I had to take my exam with the freshman level theology class. And I walk in and this loud freshman is like, who are you? I'm like, how are you this energetic at eight o'clock in the morning? Look at you. You just got to Franciscan. You feel like you're the king of the freaking world. You're finally with a bunch of like, you know, Catholic people your age and, mm-hmm. and you're hanging out. Look at you, man. You go. I'm way too tired and I have a kid coming. Like, I'm not, yes. <laughs> we are in different levels I, of our life. I could cook you and eat you. <laughs> and then, and then I'm putting my stuff down. And I'm like unpacking and then I hear, a, I feel a pencil hit me and I'm like, who the hell? And it was Nino. Nino was oh, in the class, yeah. Because the, they he's a seminarian now, and they send the seminarians uh, to to Franciscan, so he had to take a freshman level theology class. <laughs> oh, poor guy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> anyway, keep going. With your thing. I don't time. even re- free, free time. time. We've talked about this before, but I think it bears repeating. <clears throat> There's an institutional reason why young adult and adult ministry doesn't work. It's because the things that happen off screen for youth ministry, the things that make it so successful that you can incentivize and the things like with what you're talking about just are way less of a reality because once you have a job and once you start having children, you are, you are in a lot of ways trapped by the, the culture writ large. Like you are, you are stuck in a machine High schoolers are largely outside of this machine other than, you know, when they're at high school, other than when they're at high school. But even when they're at high school, like it's not even really that bad. They're rebelling against the system. <laughs> yes. Cause they're, well, they're with their friends and they're talking, they're laughing. Like you can build a whole lot of camaraderie in between classes Absolutely, and during yeah. classes and all kinds of things. Like there's real community that can happen because you trap everyone in the same building for eight hours a day, five days a week. Yeah. High schoolers, high schoolers are able to make friendships of circumstance out of which, Mm-hmm. Out of which friendships of virtue can come, they can be formed. That's what happened when I was in high school. I don't talk to many of my friends who weren't in youth ministry with me. Yeah. Um, oh frick! You broke your boomer again. Yeah, I need to get a different one. 
Yeah, me too. Mine's broken, broken. Mine, well, it's not broken. It just is kind of crappy, and I think I, the way I have it installed isn't right. So all I'm trying to say is there are... The beautiful thing about Protestantism is that a lot of the successful churches with successful pastors and successful teams, they create a different culture. And that's why they are able to, to so deeply imprint themselves upon their, their members. Yeah. Like that's, that is why a lot of ways, like the evangelical Protestant spirit, I'm talking in the true sense, like, like I'm talking about parents who sing hymns with their kids and like their kids grow up and they go do foreign missions. Like, mm-hmm. like <laughs> the successful Protestant churches do something that successful Catholic churches don't, which is they they give their um i don't know if you call them parishioners but the what do you call protestant churchgoers their congregants yeah parishioners They're, is another one yeah yeah they give their parishioners a, a culture to be a part of that is different from the american culture yes and that lends it towards adult discipleship which is not something that happens in the catholic church because yes. we give no culture because all of our time and energy is they don't have to spend as nearly as much time doing sack prep you know, like for better or for worse, that that's just not something that takes up any of their time and energy. Yeah. They don't have to teach their kids about Holy Communion. They don't have to teach their kids about confession or, you know, maybe, maybe in some cases they do in like Methodist churches or Anglican churches, but it's not to the scale that it is in the Catholic church. Yeah. And so they, they just have so many more resources to do things like that. Um, because it, can you imagine if someone like you, if your job was you know, to let's say you were the young adult person and you had the support of the parish behind you to actually build a, a culture of adult discipleship rather than a culture of programs, programs, then I don't know. So that's what I think the, the difference is. And why don't Catholics reach out to Protestants and help them? Because they don't even, when they encounter that, they get freaked out. They're like, Oh, that's really culty and weird. They don't know what to invite them into. Because they see that Protestants have yeah. the faith ones have something that they don't, and then they're like, "What?" And then they end up leaving the church. <laughs> perhaps what so, perhaps what we can what we're calling welcoming is actually the creation of a culture. This is again they talk about this in the Mars Hill podcast that the one the one guy who was in charge of their creative team Jesse is like mm-hmm. he came in and they were doing stuff like Jesus is the real Superman and it was like when Superman the movie came out they were doing like a Superman series and he was like if you suck the tailpipe of culture you're gonna be three years behind. And yeah. you're just going to be like, it's creatively stupid. Like you're, you're, you're not offering people anything other than what they have. And like, right. That's why, that's why it's so cringy when priests talk about movies and football during the homilies. It's like, mm-hmm. what's different about here? Like what's, what is, what is going on this right. year? We're not I'm offering sure people, we're not offering people a new worldview. Mm-hmm. We're not yeah. offering them a new worldview. We're, and, and it shows that people want people to just confirm their worldview. Like, the, like the, the, the number one critique that we get at Archangel Gabriel is that priests aren't saying X about the, the political issue that I care the most about. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's and it's nuts. And it's like, sure, the priest could be saying more about like, why do you want the priest to talk about abortion so much? Because you want the law to change. OK, great. But he, none of us awesome. none of us in this room can do anything about that. Yeah, you know, so like during when, mass at least it, during mass, right? So like other than pray and offer up the sacrifice, you know, and 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 like that's something that can be done, and and it's like, 
and it's not always about abortion either and it's it usually comes from a place of just you know wanting abortion is usually some is something that i've heard people use as like a it's a very it's it's a very obviously wrong thing but it's just become mm-hmm. synonymous with like republican politics so it's like i also want you to advocate for fiscally conservative policy it's like well i'm not gonna do that uh at mass <laughs> that's definitely not the place right uh we should stop getting taxed <laughs> in the middle of mass border control right exactly and and it's 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 that that is sucking the tailpipe of culture. Yeah. Releasing a video where you say you can't be Catholic and a Democrat um, is sucking the tailpipe of culture because that's what the culture Ooh. cares about. You know, if if someone did that, Ooh. it would be ridiculous. If someone were if to someone do were that. to do this, uh, yeah. and I think creating a culture that's what Mars Hill did for better yes. or for worse. Yes. They created a culture that stood in stark opposition from the perceived culture of Seattle. And it gave the people something new. And that's what I think that's mm-hmm. what people are experiencing when Will is saying that he feels welcome at this young adult group. It's because he's receiving a culture that is explicitly in in, in contrast to the culture of how young adults live mm-hmm. in the world. And that by that, I mean alone. <laughs> and the thing, too, that what a culture gives that I don't think we understand is not just something that is helpful for me it's like oh this is so great that i have this culture and it's going to be let's all pat ourselves on the back i can't think enough about when in acts the three thousand people were were baptized and added to the to the number of christians the apostles went from having just them and like some ladies (laughs) to having the entire force of a small town behind them right like just the the amount of confidence that that gives you, and in addition, not just the apostles, but every person that was that joined, they now have this. It's like, all right, if I go out and I get persecuted, I know that I've got people who are backing me up yeah. because there's all these people now who who support the Christian cause. Mm-hmm. That's how they felt at Mars Hill. That's how they felt every again every successful church group that's actually given a group of people a Christian identity and then they lived out of it missionally. It's it's because they had something that was backing them up and sending them out in somewhere that they can go when things were hard or they weren't making sense or they weren't working as they should. It's like, well, what do I do? What do I do with this? And someone older or wiser who's done it longer is able to teach you or someone with younger and different ideas is able to, you know, inspire you. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's the goal. But when you don't have, when your culture is just, well, these are the groups of people that show up to the programs. That's not a, that doesn't encourage or inspire anyone to, invite anyone to anything because it's just why why would i mix it up you know me and the boys me and the ladies we, we all show up to all these things and we kind of all know our place yeah so there's no room to bring protestants in there's no room to bring non-christians in that's that's why something that Teresa said Teresa is on my core team for edge i think i've talked to you about this a couple times it's amazing Teresa from the podcast yeah big get Boba. yeah and uh we were talking about how something in my in my my parish we don't do youth groups we do youth ministry and she was like, as much as you say that, like right now you are doing a youth group for middle school. There's an attendance sheet. Um, you have assigned small groups. There, no kid could walk off the street and just come in and be like, "Hey, I'm here. I ministered me." You know, it's it's you have to sign up, and it's and that 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 is the the reality for middle school, right? Because that's the language that parents speak. But could you imagine if there were a group of of parents of middle school aged kids? who just got together for dinner and they just had conversations with their kids about the faith. Like every, like the parents and the kids all just had dinner. And during dinner, someone brings up a topic of the faith and the adults just listen to the kids talk 
and then they answer questions the kids have and the kids feel like they have a place where they can openly ask questions about tough things about the faith. Um, if that happened, I would let that kid miss edge every week. You know, mm-hmm. like that's that's so much more valuable than going to a room full of with 80 kids in it to be mass massively catechized, like mass catechesis that, you know, works yeah. to and, and it, it sucks because like it, it is working. The kids are the kids are going to going into the church and they're always like, I love going into the church. And it makes me so sad when I hear that because I'm like, I can't believe you found that out at Edge. You know, I can't mm-hmm. believe you found out that you love going into a church mm-hmm. when you were 13 years old, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's like, I can't, I can't, I can't minister to all those kids who say that because they don't say it to me. They say it to their parents. So when a parent tells me that, I'm like, good, what are you doing with that? <laughs> I know. You know, get, bring them to mass. <laughs> they, they, if yeah. they love going to church, bring them to mass. Yeah, I think, I think, Will, I think the answer to your question, how can the church be more welcoming is if the church embraces the fact that it's supposed to be countercultural. Um, and yes. countercultural does not mean both Democrats and Republicans think they're in the minority. I don't understand how they do this it. This is the craziest thing. It's the craziest thing. You literally, if, if, it's nuts. If either one, if either one was actually in the minority, we wouldn't flip flop exactly, every four years right? who's in charge. It's, it's, it's pretty it's, much Have you seen split. the result? It was like 74 million to 75, like 74 million. You know, it's, it's like, it goes back and forth. Oh my gosh, it's so dumb. That's crazy. We literally went from blue to red to blue in the White House. And the, the anyway, you're you're deluding yourselves if you think that you're in the minority. Um, they they're what was I saying? I got so upset for a couple of seconds. <laughs> it just bugs me so much because I'm like, you know who's in the minority? The 53 million Catholics, as of the writing of Rediscover Catholicism, you know, 20 years ago. The 53 million Catholics who God knows how many of them still identify as such, that's in the minority. Yes. You're talking about creating a counterculture yes. is what the church has to the do. The church has to do. And, and when I say that, the reason why I blew up like that was because when you hear me say create a counterculture, don't hear me as saying we've got to really embrace conservative values. We've got to oppose the woke agenda. We have to oppose the woke. I was reading an article. My, my, my cousin Jake sent me an article. He's a very smart individual. And I love when he sends me articles because they're longer <laughs> than things that I read rec- recreationally. Um, it was an amazing article about uh, the policies going on in Indiana. It was really interesting. But one thing the author said I thought was kind of funny was he um, he referred to the he referred to wokeism in quotes and he defined it as an elite progressive ideology. Oh, that was really funny because it was coined by just regular everyday black people who were just like just stay aware of what people are trying to do to you. That was, yeah. was stay woke, you know, like that that was mm-hmm. said in a childish Gambino song, you know. And it was funny mm-hmm. to hear it called elitist, but anyway. Um, yeah, whatever the woke agenda is, that's, we got to create a counterculture to that, you know, and still mm-hmm. the people who promote the woke agenda are like, we got to create a counterculture to counteract the, everyone's just, anyway, Catholicism is only, the only real counterculture because Jesus has said, Jesus said that he came to oppose the world mm-hmm. and everything in it, you know, yes. like everything that it stands for. If you really want to oppose the woke ideology, fall madly in love with Christ. Yeah. If you really want to, if you really want to own the cons. Yeah. Convert to Christianity. Unironically. Unironically. The no best, matter who you want to own, become become saint. <laughs> the best the best thing the best thing that the civil rights movement did was just like laugh in the face of the non Christian Christians who said that they were less than because of their color and embraced mm-hmm. the love of Christ anyway and mm-hmm. clearly taught that all men are created equal because they're all created in the image and likeness of God. Like that's the, that's the best, that's the best thing, you know? Cause it's like, there's that, there's a, there's a movement against, there's a movement against Christianity as a white religion. 
and it's just that just plays into the that plays into the um that plays into the white supremacist stereotype. You know, you see these people on the internet all the time, like Christianity is Western religion. So the first Gentile convert was from Ethiopia. Come on. <laughs> anyway, if you really want to create a counter counterculture, fall madly in love with Jesus Christ, Ethan Stevie. That's all I've got. That's all I, I don't got have too. much more. Th- I don't have much more than that. Um, if you really want to create a counterculture, start a carpentry business. <laughs> I have an idea. Like counters, like counters. Yeah, I got it. Okay, I got like it. that you put in your home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the thing is, is that people don't often think about counters when you say counterculture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I, I understand. I understand. To... If you really okay, want to create a yes. counterculture, start an abacus business. <laughs> <laughs> Really you really want to start a counterculture move to Transylvania? What? Uh, Count. There it is. A counterculture. <laughs> I have an okay. idea. Yeah, what's up? Are you aware of the Good Egg Fund? I'm familiar with it. Yeah, so Katie, shout out Katie Ruby. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Uh, she has a thing on her on her Twitch called the Good Egg Fund, and she she mentioned it on in the Discord. Go to Discord, go to the description Discord. She mentioned that if anyone, if you know of anyone who wants to feed the homeless, doesn't have any money for it, talk to her and she can give a grant from the Good Egg Fund. Apparently the Good Egg Fund gives money to people, just regular everyday people, gives grant money to everyday people to do good things, like um, feed the homeless, right? And she was talking to me about structure and how like people just donate money and then the mo- she disperses the money to people who want to do good things in their local area. Now, I have an idea. She was like, you should start one. I was like, that sounds great. That sounds awesome. What if we started a crunch evangelization fund? A crunch evangelization crunch fund. Crunch evangelization, where we pay people to promo our pot. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> where, we, where we do what I did at Holy Spirit, where if someone says, hey, I spent this much money taking a friend out to, uh, to, to drinks, and we talked about Catholicism, um, and they don't have money to do it, we will, we will give them a grant to take people out to just hang out, just fun to their hangout you want to do that i love it I'm let's in. let's do it I, i'll put it in my idea box and we'll do it it's you just create a 501c3 and if you make less than a certain amount of money a year which we won't we won't make more than uh we don't have we don't even have we don't have to like do much taxes this state we fill out a form and the irs is like oh you didn't make more than this money that's fine we don't care what you do um yeah so cool so we'll do that we'll do that and then it'll be like donate to patreon or donate to the crunch evangelization fund and then we can give money to people to evangelize That'd be so, that's so great. Right? I love it. It's a good idea. I think everyone should stop donating to Patreon and start donating to the Crunch Evangelization Fund. I mean, we could always put money in the Crunch Evangelization Fund. We could. Yeah. It's one way or the other, it's going in the fund, so. <laughs> it's going in the fund, baby. Uh, do you want to get into Dr. Ethan's dating for? <sighs> of course form? I do. I'm so excited. It's been too long since we've done a good Dr. Ethan's dating uh, I, I know it hurts. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You came to the right place, you ding dong. It's called communication, baby. Welcome to Dr. Ethan's Dating Corner, sponsored by Catholic Match. If you want to find the love of your life, honestly, you should probably just go to catholicmatch.com slash crunch to start a free profile. Your profile is always going to be free. But if you go to catholicmatch.com slash crunch, you let them know that we sent you, and then they'll keep being lovely sponsors of this show. You mean like my cousin who met her husband on catholicmatch.com, who's now been married for six months. Huge. That could be you. That Huge. could be you. Are you going to do the one that we got in an email from December 8th, 2021? 
Oh, I could. Oh, let's do that one. Yeah, that one was sent directly. To, but I don't want to encourage people to email Dr. Ethan's Dating Corners because I like having it all in one place. But I, I understand. But I did like this one. So did you read yes, it already? This is a good one. I have read it, but I would like it. Okay, to I will read it, it to the people. Dear Ethan and Professor, Dr. Ethan and Professor Patrick, I appreciate Hello. the appellation of Professor. Uh, you can probably tell my name from my email, but I would like to remain anonymous. I'm a 23-year-old Catholic woman. She said, I'd like to remain anonymous if possible. I like that. It's like, no, no, sorry, sorry. It's uh, sorry, absolutely impossible that you remain anonymous. I need to say your name right now. I'm a 23-year-old Catholic woman dating a 24-year-old Catholic man. You're both out of school, <laughs> out of school, financially stable, etc. And we've been dating for about a year. Naturally, we've talked about marriage and a timeline for when we'd want that to happen. He okay. first brought marriage up earlier in our relationship when I was still not ready to begin seriously discussing engagement and marriage. Thankfully, since then, we've had many more conversations. It's called hmm. communication, baby. And I'm hey. becoming, that was a parenthesis that she added. And I'm becoming increasingly more comfortable and excited about the idea of marrying my boyfriend. However, I am interested in hearing your thoughts about when you know, quote unquote, that you're ready for marriage. I have an inkling that I will never be 100% sure that I'm ready to be married until I actually get married because a commitment to someone for life is scary. And you can never be sure about what that commitment will entail. This isn't exactly a dating problem per se, but thankfully my boyfriend is patient and very kind. Um, I'm so curious as to your thoughts about commitment and marriage and how you can know if you can ever really know for sure. Big fan of the show. Thanks, Anonymous. Hey, thanks. Thank you. Appreciate it. Patrick, we're going to say the correct answer on three. One, two, three. You got to get married. I mean, yeah, you do. But I mean, I, I would like to talk more about how to know. because I, think I that... would like to talk more about how to know as well. I think, you know, I think people put too much emphasis on knowledge. I think there is a, a real Epicurean issue going around here. <laughs> <laughs> um, the maybe you have a different opinion than I do, but the way that you, you know, is okay. Do you love this person? Um, do, do you see any reason that they would be not a good spouse? Do you see any reason that you would not be a good spouse? Is there is there anything in between you and marriage? Yeah. And if the if the answer is no, like you said all of those things, you shut your mouth. Series <laughs> talking to me. Stop talking to me, robot. <laughs> the. Like you said, you're financially stable. Like all of the regular reasons that people say like, oh, we're going to wait until this and the other thing. You guys don't have any of those. Yeah. So the, the, the you have to understand that at some point you got to make a decision and you could stay in a non-decision indefinitely. But the longer you don't uh, get married is the longer you don't have sacramental grace of marriage. Yeah, it's true. The longer it will take you to become a saint. So sacramental grace of marriage is huge. It's massive. Phoebe and I were talking about this the other day. We were. Were we? No, Phoebe and I were talking about this. Ah. <laughs> you weren't there. We were talking about Sorry. the sacramental grace. We don't have the sacramental. You know what? We should have sacramental grace of podcasters. That's what we should have. I know. That's what, when Maybe it's part of our that? baptismal call. You know, priest, prophet, Maybe. king, and podcaster. <laughs> priest, prophet, and podcast. <laughs> what are your thoughts on how you know? I think there is such a thing as uh, hopeful certainty. Like, mm -hmm. like I forget what the word is called, but it's like it's it's pious certainty. There's like a there's like an understanding that's like you're un it's an understanding that you could be wrong. That's true, but you are like yeah, I'm I'm sure this is the one. I mean, mm -hmm. you hear this sometimes from like people who are discerning. They'll talk to a priest, and the priest will be like, "Well, I wasn't sure that I wanted to be ordained until my ordination day." And it's like, "Whoa, really?" Until the day I was, or until right when the bishop laid his hands on me, I wasn't sure. 
Um, and I think that's fine to say. But I knew that I wanted to marry my wife before I said that I wanted to marry my wife. In fact, it's it's sacramentally necessary for me to know that I want to marry my wife before I say that I want to marry my wife. Right, because you have to... Yes. You're agreeing to say... You're agreeing to it. Or It's a premeditate. They ask you if you've meditated on this. Yeah, and, and so you, you, you kind of have yes. to be like, yeah. Um, but you don't have to... I think she... I think you know that you got, you got to marry this guy. <laughs> yeah, it seems it seems pretty clear. First of all, like if he's if he's like if he's the kind of guy where you're like he's like yeah I want to get married and you're like well I'm not sure and he's like oh okay cool we can wait dude wife that guy up <laughs> yeah wife him up are you telling me that there's a guy out there who's not pressuring his lady into doing what he wants frick <laughs> in this economy <laughs> in the- <laughs> no that sounds great like that sounds you're like- never you're never gonna know a hundred percent but what you can know is. Like grace is real, and yeah, it really is. You just that there's no there's no sense in waiting. There's really there's really none, yeah. unless you think there's a chance that marriage is not your vocation, in which case break up. But it sounds like you think marriage might is your vocation. So I don't know. I, I, the, to me, the moment that I I quote unquote knew is when. We were, it was Thanksgiving last year and Emma and I were cooking because I was banned from my house because of the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, we were cooking and I was just like, yeah, I, I could do this for the rest of my life. Like it wasn't anything yeah. profound, but it was just, all right, I know that I need to do this. This sounds good. And it, and it was still, it didn't take away any of the fear or the anxiety or the what it, like I had the ring in my hand. I was like, this is crazy. Like I can't go back once I propose. Like I still can, I can still go back now. Like I've got the ring here. I can, I can, I could send it back right now and wait another two months or three months. Yeah. But then at that point I was like, dude, you're already in this deep. So I just kind of kept going and like didn't stop. And it's, it's turned out really, really well. It is very good. And I, I, I the, the, the hammer, the hammer in the, in, in the, the, the sickle the hammer and the sickle is this the the most important thing is this is that grace is a, is super necessary mm-hmm. and grace is real it's principle number two and four post-liberalism go to patnevy.blog slash post-liberalism basics i posted an article uh-huh it's number number two is that you were created to you know become just and live in a just society in a family as a society uh number three is you were created for eternal beatitude with Christ and number four is that grace is necessary to achieve both of those things. What's number one? Number one is that you have been, uh, you have an inherent human dignity. Uh, yeah. You've been created with an inherent like all of them dignity. Grace. Yeah. What? It sounds like it's all grace. Yeah, exactly. It's the, the, the natural grace of creation, the natural grace of our, our natural call to justice. And then, uh, our supernatural call, to to beatitude in heaven and then vocation. The, then the fact oh. that the fact that grace is necessary for yeah. all of those things, all of those things, including becoming holy and becoming just a good person, you need grace. Um, mm-hmm. And so, doing a very human thing like marriage, you need grace to do it. That's why it's a sacrament. That's why it's a sacrament, even though it existed before sacraments did. It's a sacrament now because you need grace to do it well. Um, and I can tell you from personal experience, I've experienced sacramental grace of marriage. Um, yeah. Same. It's it's real. It's there. It's pretty powerful. I don't want to belabor the point. Is there? Uh, I mean, what else is going on? Can you please pray for that I get my taste back? Because 
every time I eat, it used to be the best part of my day. And now it is the <laughs> categorically the worst part of my day. That every sucks. single time that I eat something. It must be weird to be hungry and tasteless. Yes, it is. Confirmed Ethan Stevie has no taste. Yeah. That was a very funny joke that you made. Thank you. I did post in the Discord. I said, the coronavirus has confirmed what we've always long suspected. Ethan has no taste. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I did a, I did another another article on my blog. Yes, patnevy.blog. Patnevy.blog, The Basics of Post-Liberalism. It's up there. Uh, it came out a couple days ago. Everyone should join the Discord. Everyone should join the Discord. Everyone should subscribe to my blog. If you like the post-liberalism blog, please tell me and I'll talk about it more. It did worse than my other posts have, but I think that's because my friends and family that don't listen to the podcast are subscribed but don't want to hear about politics. Yeah. So, but if you guys subscribe and want to hear about post-liberalism, I will write more about post-liberalism. I'm, I'm thinking about my next article being how to actually practically apply those principles because New Polity has something called the post-liberal advent calendar that's like, today, bake two loaves of bread and give one away. Today, don't spend any money. And it's like, they don't really explain why those things are post-liberal. You know? <laughs> it's just like a really weird Simon Says game. Yeah, it's like, it's like do these things that are kind of like cottagecore and then you'll be a post-liberal. You know what I mean? You know mm-hmm. what cottagecore is? I'm familiar with the concept. Yeah, and so it's it's like, do these things that are, that are, that are kind of like quirky, you know, like chili your amazon prime account you know it's kind of countercultural. You know, but like why is some it... butter yeah exactly but why is it post buy a cow i don't know why is it post i did i did cancel my amazon prime account that's good yeah just so you know please don't please tell jacob and mom that i canceled my amazon prime account so he i will come to my house and beat me up <laughs> he's so big uh, he's so large he's got something he's so large <laughs> i he's have to muzzly. go okay I need to talk to my wife. I also have to edit this freaking podcast, which I thought was going to be really easy and simple because it was going to be a one-take Larry, and <laughs> both of our computers broke. But it was a two-take Bob. <laughs> it's a two-take Bob. Patrick, do you have anything else for the people? Donate to the Crunch Evangelization Fund, and we will give you money to evangelize your friends. Thank you all for listening. Please pray for us. We'll be praying for you, and I'll see you all next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.